Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Andrew, and it's great to be able to come together tonight and to be able to share God's Word with you. Um, as we do that, we're looking, um, continuing on through our series in Galatians chapter 3. Tonight it's Galatians 3, verses 1 to 14. So the passage that we're coming to tonight is continuing in the theme we've been looking at. Paul is kind of reiterating this theme again and again about how it is that we can pass the test, how it is that we can be received by God into eternal life. It's kind of all about how we can go from here to when we, get, when we die and when we come to Judgment Day, how are we going to get accepted into God's kingdom rather than being rejected from there? Now, I know that in a lot of different societies and clubs and communities around the world, they have all different sorts of crazy initiation rituals. And, um, yeah, it's amazing just to think about those for a minute. We're actually going to watch some footage of one in a moment. Um, this is one of the more crazy ones which we see from a movie a couple of years ago. And it's a little two-minute video and um, just gets you to kind of think about what it takes to be accepted into the community. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, at the Army, we actually, as well as doing fun stuff, we sit through a lot of lectures, and one of the things I teach you is that it's good to have a little, little video at the start just to kind of arouse people's attention. It's often the best part of the lecture, so that's partly what that was all about. You remember that, if nothing else, from all this. But what we see there is it's about the test of, like, Nemo's trying to get into this community. He's trying to break in. How's he going to do it? He's got to th swim through the ring of fire. Paul's stuff he's talking about is all about this idea of how it is that we can get into the kingdom of God. So let's pray as we come to this passage. Dear Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, which is such a blessing to us. And we pray that tonight, as we go through it, and as we hear these words and really look to what Paul is saying, Lord, may our minds be clear. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you speak directly to our hearts. May we come to a fresh understanding of the reality of the awesome things that you've blessed us with. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you just turn up there, we'll read through the text. Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So this passage is an interesting one, a very relevant one, and it explains the answer to this question, which is probably the most crucial question that will ever come before us. And as we'll see towards the end of tonight's sermon, this answer to the question will change and shape our worldview. That is our understanding of what everything is about, the world around us, about ourselves, about life and death, and what things are all about. So in so doing, it transforms and shapes everything about us. Now, at the start of this passage, we see that Paul is once again very annoyed. We saw how annoyed Paul was a few weeks ago, back at the start of this letter, at the start of chapter 1. He was, he was more angry, probably, than he is at any other point in his whole letters, which make up part of the New Testament. So here he was, he was annoyed, and you might think he was annoyed, then he was happy, and then he's become annoyed again. But that's not the case. He's been annoyed the whole way through. He was stating it very clearly at the start. He's kind of been talking about other stuff for a little while. And now he's come back to saying how annoyed he is once again. And the reason he's annoyed is because the people are giving the wrong answer for what is the most important question in the world. Now, these people could be forgiven for that if they just did not know the answer or had never known it. But Paul had told them the right answer and nurtured them in that truth. Then the people have turned away and now they're getting it wrong. So understandably, Paul is not at all happy. Now, it's really good to get the right answer. And as we know, there's a big difference between the right answer and the wrong answer. Can you think of any examples when it's really important to get the answer right? Just a few suggestions from the floor. When is it a really good time to get the answer right? At your wedding. At your wedding, yes. <laughs> when you say, yes, I will. Especially when you already paid for the reception. Lose all that money and everything. When else is it good to get, get the answer right instead of wrong? Roulette. Roulette, yeah. yeah. It'd be good if you could know the answer beforehand, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Any other, t- any other times? When your wife asks you when your wedding anniversary is. Yeah, 
you need to know. Yeah, that's really important stuff. Definitely. Any other ones? Exams, definitely, yeah, absolutely. There's a right answer and a wrong answer most of the time. Apart from some of those humanities subjects, it doesn't matter what your answer is, just as long as you argue it well, it seems to be okay. I can think of another example when it's really good to get the right answer is um, out at Bandiana, we, um, one of the groups of people we train are the parachute riggers. Now, these people work at the Army School of Ordnance and they do all the maintenance of the parachutes, they make sure it's all happening properly, they check them off before they pack them and they pack them in the right way so that when the highly trained Special Forces commando goes bolting at 100 miles an hour out the back of the plane, the parachute will magically open straight away. Now, if this guy doesn't do it properly, it's going to be messy down on the ground. It's not going to be a good thing at all. So it's really important to get it right at that time and people trust that person to get it exactly right. So there's right answers and there's wrong answers and that's what we see here. Paul reminds the people that Jesus Christ has been crucified for them and that Jesus Christ is at the centre of their faith and their relationship with God. He asks them here, he says, when you received the Spirit, was it because of observing the law or was it because you believed? Now the answer to this question had been such a central part of Paul's preaching and Paul's ministry. So he doesn't need to answer it right then. Just by asking the question, it's clear enough to kind of point out to the people, hey, remember what I told you. The simple fact that he's asking the question is enough to jolt them into remembering Paul's ministry and Paul's message. Now here it's probably not so much that the people were outrightly denying Paul's message, but I think they had questions and doubts that crept into their thinking. I don't think they were trying to turn away from that message, but over time they had just kind of gradually, bit by bit, slipped away from it. They had accepted the truth, that was the pure, unadulterated, 100% perfect truth, that truth of salvation purely by God's grace. Then over time, little ideas crept in. And the people did not realise it, but those ideas that have crept in actually completely contradicted and corrupted the gospel. So they made it useless. There's times like that when something coming in like that can really destroy what, what is so precious. And this is definitely one of those cases. These things that people had started to believe were poisonous. Now the purity of the gospel is such an important thing. And the purity of the gospel is what Paul reminds us of here in chapter 3 of Galatians. In that first five verses, he says two things particularly that he reminds us of. He says, firstly, that we receive the Spirit by believing rather than by observing the law. And secondly, that God gives his Spirit and works miracles amongst us because of our belief rather than by our obedience. And in verse 3, he makes the observation that people have started with the Spirit, but then they've been attempting to attain the goal by human effort. And I think this is where the rubber really hits the road for us. Because I think for all of us, we start out saved by grace. We come as sinners and we fall at the feet of Jesus and we say, God, please forgive me. And he forgives us and that's an awesome thing. But over a period of years or even decades after that, we start to think, we start to have these subtle ideas creep in which actually really corrupt the gospel. These ideas might creep in and make us start to think that our salvation is maintained by our good deeds or by our moral standards or by the way we serve at church and in the community. 
But it's so important to just come back to this 100% pure gospel of grace. That grace that we are not acceptable, not acceptable because of who we are, but we're acceptable because of who he is and what he's done for us. So all we can do is praise God to lift up the name of Jesus, to hold dearly to the fact that we can never be acceptable to God because of our own goodness or because of the things that we do. And that's what religion is all about, isn't it? Religion is all about a human attempt to earn God's favour. Back in Jesus' day, there were people who believed in God and who were very religious, trying to very strictly follow the law and were doing a very good job of it. They were the Pharisees. And they were the ones who cared the most about being right with God. And they tried incredibly hard to earn God's favour. Now, Jesus spent a whole lot of time talking to them, trying to explain to them that no matter what they do, they can never be good enough for God. But most of them couldn't really accept that because it just didn't really make sense that you'd be accepted even if you're a sinner. And back in Isaiah chapter 64, God tells us that all of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the winds, our sin sweeps us away. It's it's a very sobering passage to read that. But good to remember that all of us, the the better people and the not so good people, all of us are sinful people. You know, sometimes just like the Pharisees, we start to think that we might have done something to earn God's favour. Maybe it's leading a ministry. Or maybe it's even about being a deacon or a pastor. Or maybe it's leading someone to Christ. It's amazing how subtly Satan tries to help us to forget God's grace. We need to just praise God that he has given us this way, he's provided a path that we can walk that journey to freedom. It's not a path that we've found ourselves or earned ourselves, but it's a path that God has given us, completely as his gift. He's led us to see where it begins. He's put a guardrail down the side of that path to try and keep us from falling off. And he takes us all the way to the end, not by our own good works or actions, but by the grace of God all the way. Now, I think as we look at the people here in Galatia, they were trying their best They were not trying to do the wrong thing and they were not completely stupid people. But I think the people, you've got to try to analyse how is it these people got off track in the way they did. And I think it must be that in time they started to feel inadequate. See, to have their salvation completely just gifted to them, given to them as a free gift, probably made them feel a bit inadequate. And like they had actually not done anything to deserve the gift. And I guess that's how it made the people feel quite unworthy. There probably questions in their mind like, how could God be so kind? Why would God be so kind? So the people had received the gospel of God's grace and then they gradually slipped back to thinking that it at least partially depended on their obedience. I think we all like to have something to do with it, don't we? We all like to make a contribution to feel worthy about what we might receive. Now, I heard a story a few years ago about a company that, that produces you know, um, cakes, like in boxes. I've never, I've, I was thinking about it last night, I thought, 
I've actually never made a cake in my whole life. Now, some people might say they've never made a cake successfully, but I've never made a dodgy cake. I've never tried to make a cake. So I don't know much about what I'm talking about, but I heard this story, which is a fantastic one, which fits in really well. It's this company that, you know, puts, you know, little cake mixes out in boxes, and they hired some market researchers and paid them lots of money so they could work out how to market this cake mix in a really good way. And the researchers found that people are really busy. So it needs to be made really easy and straightforward for them. So the company brought out a product where everything was included. You'd have your box and you'd have about six or seven little sachets of different things. One would be kind of like flour, one would be a bit of sugar, and one would have oily stuff, and another one would have another colour of oily stuff. A bit of icing and a couple of others there. They released the product and they thought, this is just the best product in the world. This is going to sell a lot of boxes and help a lot of men especially to be able to make cakes for the first time in their life. They put it out and guess what? It didn't work. And they just couldn't work out why. And after a while they sacked those researchers and they got a whole new bunch of people in to analyse what had happened and how this had worked out. And they found that people had felt disempowered and that people actually wanted to contribute a little bit more. So what they did is they, they juggled it around a little bit, they rebranded the product and re-released it with a small change. And that was that you'd have all these little sachets of things that you have to put in and then cook up, but you'd have to add an egg as well. So you'd kind of get to make a little contribution to the whole mix. And then you could feel like you were saying, hey, I made that cake and it wasn't just all in a box. So they did that and then the cake mix sold lots more cakes. And what that goes to show me is that people like to, like to be able to put in a bit. And even if it all is put there in front of you and the recipe is given to you, we all like to kind of make a contribution and feel like, hey, that's my cake. I thought I'd how to make it. I cracked that egg and got it just right. And hey, it wasn't easy. It was a good, good job and made it just right. We all like to feel like we're having a contribution to make. Now think about that in regard to salvation. We all like to contribute. We all like to feel special. I think we start to get that idea that, like, you know, if we're going to be saved, it's not because God has just decided to save us, but He's saved us because we're good people. Maybe we've done the right thing and that we keep on doing the right thing. But that's not what the gospel's about because it is just 100% about God's grace coming down upon us, unworthy sinners. Not because we've contributed anything. So as we keep on moving through this passage, we come to the next section from verses 6 through 9. And here we see that Paul is still working on getting across that same point, that our Christian life starts and continues on because of God's grace, not because of our lifestyle or our goodness. Our life as Christians is because of God's blessing. In these four verses, instead of speaking directly to the point, because Paul's done enough of that already, he links it into a familiar example for the people. And he hopes that by making this link with history, this illustration, that the people will be in a better spot to be able to understand what's going on. So remembering back to the story um, of Abraham from Genesis, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to leave his country, his people and his father's household and to go to a land that God will show him. God says to him in Genesis 12, 1-3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. 
and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So after Abraham got surprised with that big promise and challenge that was put to him by God, Abraham had to make a big decision. And that was, would he trust the promise, leaving where he was in order to be blessed? Or would he doubt the promise and stay where he was and not receive the blessing? Now rather than looking at his situation or using common sense or even asking his friends what they thought, Abraham decided to take God at his word. He could have sat there and thought, oh, I think that was God speaking to me. I might just sit here and wait a few more days and see if God speaks to me in that way again. But Abraham didn't do that. He didn't hesitate. He believed God and as a result of that, he left his old life and he embraced the new life that was ahead of him. Now, that would have been a major challenge for him, wouldn't it? Now, I think today, if we wanted to go to another country or something like that, we could probably find someone we know who's already been to that country. We could look it up on the internet, find hotels to stay at, work out everything we want to know about that place and have it all planned out. But back in this day, he couldn't do that. No one had ever been there. He couldn't see any pictures of it. They didn't even have the internet back then. So how would he get by planning? And the fact is, he didn't get to plan. He had to trust God and he had to walk by faith. It was like walking with your eyes closed. It doesn't make sense, does it? Unless God is leading you. Only when God is leading you, it makes sense to walk by faith. So he had to do that. What an awesome example of faith there, to leave his country like that. He did it. Praise God. In Genesis 15.6, the verse that's quoted here in Galatians 3, um, it says... Consider Abraham, Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in verse 7, Paul goes on to explain that to the people that those who believe are like the children of Abraham. Now he has that phrase, children of Abraham. Um, that might not mean a real lot to us, but for the people back in this time, the phrase children of Abraham really meant the same thing as being the people of God. So to say those who believe are the children of Abraham, it's like saying those who believe are the people of God. They are going to get the good stuff that God has on offer. Now, we all want to be blessed, don't we? Blessing is a word that was very familiar to the people back in the time of the New Testament. To be blessed was not just about being rich or about being healthy, but to be blessed was even better than that. It was a much bigger and more complete thing. It involved being healthy, having good land and crops, which led to being very wealthy, good relationships with people, no enemies invading you every second year, and most importantly, a right relationship with God. That's what it meant to be blessed back in this time. A couple of thousand years ago, everybody wanted to be blessed. And I would say today, everybody wants to be blessed, don't we? We want to be blessed. Blessing is a good thing. Now the big point that Paul is labouring all the way through Galatians is that you get blessed because of your faith. So faith and belief in God's word is what leads to blessing. And it's so true today, every bit as much as it was back then, um, that God blesses us today. He gives us good health. He gives us riches beyond our imagination and perfect relationships with people and with himself. He gives us all of that when we believe in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian now for um, 16 years or so, and I'm still waiting for perfect health. 
to be given to me. And if anything, I think my body's becoming a little bit less healthy as the years go by. And I'm still waiting for God to bless me with lots of money and or lots of possessions. Either one will be fine. If he just gives me the money, then I'll go and buy the possessions. Now, I'm waiting for God to bless me with all that stuff and I'm still hoping by faith it will happen. And my relationships with people are generally good, but I must say they're not perfect. There are some people out there who I don't like and some people who don't really like me either. And my relationship with God, I'm waiting for that to be perfect. Well, kind of is perfect now, but, but sometimes God feels a bit distant or a bit absent from what's going on for me. So I kind of think, well, I'm believing in God, but I'm still waiting for some of this blessing. And I think the big thing we need to remember with all this stuff is that in terms of blessing, we don't get it all straight away. In fact, most of this stuff will not come until we get to heaven. God's blessing is perfect and complete and eternal, but we don't get it all straight away. But when we do get it, we know that thieves will not be able to break in and steal it and no moths or rust will destroy it because our treasure won't come before we die. Most of it will come after we die and when we get to heaven, which is a good thing because everything we have here on this planet is just temporary. Now, God blesses us completely and beyond our imagination. But I wonder, just think for a minute, what if you had a choice? What if God came to you and said, you could choose to have perfect health and loads of money and possessions in one of two places. You can either have it here on earth or you can have it in heaven. You can't have it in both, but you can have it in one or the other. And you've got to choose which one you want to have it in. What would you choose? Would you choose here on earth or in heaven? Now, of course, we would also in heaven because we love God and we believe in God. But my fear is that some of us would say, yeah, I'd just like to have it now, you know. I'd love to have it here on earth. And I think that's where our passion in our heart lies very often rather than being for the world which is to come and which is to be eternal. We've just got to remember that anything we have, any money we have here on this earth, any possessions, it's only temporary. Even if we buy the really good quality product, it's not going to last forever. It might last for 50 years or 80 years if we invest it well and don't lose it somewhere. And even if we build up lots of money and wealth and possessions and whatever, we might even be able to pass it down to our kids and grandkids for a couple of generations when we die. But the fact is, anything we have here on earth will not last forever. But treasure that we have in heaven will last forever. So seek first God's kingdom his blessing and his righteousness and you will see blessing beyond your imagination. But you've got to make sure you're patient until you die. But God's blessing is such an incredible thing and that's a concept Paul's really talking about in those verses 6 through 9 there. Verses 10 to 14 keep going on this theme of how we are blessed by God and how we can come into that right relationship with God. And in verse 10 there's this new concept which is introduced in this passage the idea of being under a curse. That's the bad side of it. The thought of being under a curse sounds like a very bad thing and it is an incredibly bad thing. Some people talk about curses and all that stuff and think it's not such a bad thing, it's a bit of fun and games, but being under a curse is a very, very bad thing. And we start to see as Paul speaks here that everyone is either under a curse 
or under a blessing. And that is the most important thing and the most distinguishing thing between people. If you look at different people, it's not about guys and girls or it's not about what the colour of people's skin is or whether they're healthy or unhealthy, whether they're good looking or not, whether people fit in with a group, whether they're nice to be around or even how intelligent people are. Those things are not so important. But in the end, the only thing that matters at the end of this temporary world is whether you are blessed or whether you're under a curse. So which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? As we read here in this passage, we're reminded that we have all sinned and because of that sin, we are all under a curse. But here in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ couldn't just kind of wave his magic wand and have that curse taken off of us because he loves us so much, but God has to actually send his son to take that curse for us, to take that penalty and the punishment upon his shoulders, to feel the pain of it, to be cut off from God, his Father. And by taking that curse that we deserved, we were able to receive the blessing which we never deserved in the first place. The message of chapter 3 of Galatians here is that if you're going to rely on following the law, then you need to do it perfectly. And who here can put their hand up and say, I have lived a perfect life. I'm an awesome bloke. I have never sinned. I've never insulted anybody. I've never even thought badly of somebody. Who can say that? No one. None of us are perfect. We cannot follow the law perfectly, no matter how hard we try. So praise God, because he's provided a way for us. That way is not something we've earned or deserved, but it's a fantastic way. It's God's provision for us. We can do nothing but thank God and praise him forever because of all he's given us and seek to live our lives as a response to that life of following his way, living for him, passionately serving him. You know, as we really understand the blessing that's given to us by God, I think we, allow, we need to allow it to change the way in which we see the world. And I know for me at least... Um, Something that was impressed upon me very early in life was the whole concept of justice. You know, so you'd start to see things on the news as a child and things going on around the place and you'd start to learn about the whole sense of justice. Criminals, bad people who do particularly bad things like killing people, they get punished. And I, something I got taught when I was young is that if you are smart and if you work hard, you'll get lots of money and you'll own lots of things and have a very happy life. That's kind of justice in that sense, but I don't think that's the most important thing now. Another thing you'd learn at home and at school was that naughty people would get punishment and discipline. And you didn't want to be the naughty kid in your class, did you? Because that kid would get in a lot of trouble continually. And back in my day, I feel like an old guy now saying, back in the good old days, we had the cane. Fantastic stuff. It didn't fix everything, but you know, it was good to know that the really naughty kids got that. But the naughty kids got punished. I hope they still do these days in school too. But the naughty kids got punished and the good people got rewards. Now, I just want to say for a moment, I'm not advocating the cane's a good thing. Just leave that aside. Just something that slipped out. But, you know, good people... Something I got taught when I was young is that good people get good things and bad people get bad things. That's what justice is all about. But I think something we start to see over the years is that 
Justice does not explain everything. People, people sometimes get things they don't deserve. Think of victims of crime. They don't deserve to have things happen to them like they do. Think of poor people, especially in other countries and people who never really had much of a chance and people who live in famine. That's not justice. Think of world events in terms of weather. Sometimes there might be some cataclysmic kind of you know, event that happens and tens of thousands of people get killed maybe by an earthquake or big storms or cyclones or whatever. And sometimes sickness and disease just come on people randomly. So I think the whole sense of justice does not explain the way the world is. But something I've come to see is that the world really works on the concept of love and blessing. And when you start to see the world and the gospel through these eyes, it just makes so much more sense. That people get things that they don't deserve. Think of this, when you're a baby, when you're a young child, you get love and care and concern from your parents. Now, it's not that you've done stuff to deserve that, but you get it. It's a blessing, something given to you. In the beginning, you get given life itself. Life, it's not something we did something to deserve. We weren't alive, so we couldn't do something to deserve getting born. So we never deserved to get born. But us being born and coming into this world is the gift of a loving God. We receive presents and gifts. I used to get told that the good kids will get Christmas presents and the naughty kids won't, but in the end, everybody got presents anyway. But you get that as a present, as a blessing. And we get mentors and teachers in life. One of the key concepts I've learned in the last few years is that everything we have, everything I have, has been given to me. That's a key truth to realise and it helps us to be grateful to God and the people around us. And in the end, quality of life is not about how much you own or how comfortable and happy your life is, but quality of life is about love and relationships, as love and relationships with people and with God. And the blessing of God, which was what Paul wants to get across to us, Paul in Galatians wants the people so desperately to receive and to know of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is not about a comfortable and wealthy life, but it's about getting a blessing rather than a curse. And more than that, it's about restoring a relationship. Not just any relationship, but the most important relationship in the whole universe. And that is, of course, the relationship between each one of us and between God in heaven. And you think about when we get to heaven, when we get to this awesome blessing, what's heaven going to be like? What are going to be the distinguishing features of it? Is it going to be all about comfort and blessing and fantastic food, a really big house, a really fast, sporty car, a super comfortable lounge chair and all the mod cons and remote control, everything? Is that what life's going to be about? I don't think so. I think life in heaven is going to be about relationship because relationships are more important than possessions. Relationship most of all with God and that relationship is worth more than anything else. And in heaven we'll see him face to face. That relationship with God starts here on earth and it gets better when we get to heaven. We don't see him so clearly now or as obviously but God is with us and as we get to heaven we will see him perfectly and so obviously right there in front of us. And that's what God's blessing is all about. 
When you see here the whole message through the book of Galatians, which we've been going through the last few weeks and I think the next six weeks or so as well, um, I think the main message Paul wants to get across to every one of us is that God's blessing will just blow our minds. It is the most awesome thing in the world. But in the end, some people are going to miss it. Some people are not going to get it. And if you want to get it, you need to remember this truth, that it's not about what you do, but it's about the pure and perfect grace of God. So I wonder for you, as we come to the end tonight, and as we worship again soon, um, I wonder where you're at tonight. Maybe you're someone who's been trying your best for years and years to do the right thing. And you are hoping, kind of hoping, that if God is there, that you will get to go to the good place when you die. If you're in that place, you can know when you pray and you receive God as your saviour that you will get to heaven and that you will receive that blessing if you rely not on yourself but on Jesus. Or you might be someone who's already received Jesus, maybe, maybe a few years ago, maybe a long time ago, but maybe you, like many of us, have drifted and you might have forgotten the fact that we are saved completely, 100% by God's grace. Sure, God wants us to do good stuff. God wants us to get involved at church and to serve him, to lead our friends to Christ and to live godly lifestyle. But that's not where it starts. Where it starts for every one of us is us coming to God, falling on our knees and saying, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And straight away knowing that we have the assurance of God's grace and forgiveness. And when we have that grace and forgiveness, it's after that that we seek to do our best to live for God because we're just so grateful and God has completely transformed us from the inside out. Either way, my prayer for you tonight is that you just really um, come afresh to God and realise and appreciate his grace for you. Let's pray together. Dear God, we just want to thank you right now for, for your message in the Bible that we can come to and we can read even today. And Lord, we know it applied so much to the people of Galatia back in the first century, but we know it applies so much to us today too. Will it help us to hear that message, not just in our heads, but at the bottom of our hearts, to know your love and your grace and your goodness for us. Lord, thank you so much that it does not depend on us living a perfect life, but it all depends upon Jesus, him dying for us and your grace given to us. We thank you so much for that. And help us to live in just an awesome sense of gratitude for all you've done for us, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.